Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Chris Kergard, Associate Editor of the Journal Star, along with Journal Star Executive Editor Dennis Anderson. Hello, everybody. And we're joined today by Chris McCall, one of two candidates for the Democratic nomination for Peoria County State's Attorney. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. Uh, Let me start off by asking you, uh, what is it that made you get into the race for State's Attorney, and why do you think you would be a good one? Well, first of all, I was born and raised in Peoria. I attended District 150 schools, Richwoods, and I ended up attending the flagship State University, University Mm -hmm. of Illinois, for undergraduate and law school. And the reason I decided to run is because Peoria County has done so much for me. Growing up, as I said, I attended local schools, and I received scholarships to those schools. And Peoria County is not the same county in which I grew up. There have been a lot of changes in Peoria County, um, some for the good, but a lot for the bad in terms of violence. And I want to use my experience as someone who is a business owner here, someone who is a private attorney, a defense attorney, and a community volunteer who has worked through Peoria County, Tazewell County, all the way up in Cook County. And I've seen the way the courthouses run there, and I've seen the activity on different levels from state's attorney's offices. And I want to change the way we are prosecuting cases, and I want to focus more on prevention. I want to focus more on making sure people stop the cycle of criminality because the way we've been prosecuting cases, the lack of intervention programs has actually, in my opinion, made us more dangerous, made us a more dangerous county, and I want to make us safer. And I feel that this is my way of wanting to give back to the county that has done so much for me. Can you give a little bit more detail on the way cases are prosecuted? Well, I truly believe that the method in which we've employed for the past 30 years has been the tough on crime method prosecuting individuals and we don't use intervention programs as much and I want to use more intervention programs because I think intervention programs for nonviolent crime makes us safer. What I mean by that is I want to increase our intervention programs. I want to have a recent trauma um, initiative where if you are a victim of recent trauma, recent abuse, then we have a courtroom for that because I truly believe just Given individuals convictions on crimes that are nonviolent um, makes us less safe because, for example, let's say you have a felony conviction for a nonviolent crime, what happens then? You're less likely to be able to get a lease. You're less likely to be able to get uh, any sort of funding for, for your education, and then all of a sudden you are back in that cycle of criminality and you make the rest of us less safe. Now, what what can the state's attorney's office do with those things? Because it, it has to be a decision of the courts themselves to create a, a problem-solving court, uh, as they've done with a, a drug court, veterans court, issues like that, right? What, what right. can the state's attorney do to get one of those well, started? Well, the, the state's attorney can partner with the courts, the chief judge, and work towards those cases, those courts. For example, in Tazewell County, there is a first offender intervention program in Tazewell County, mm-hmm. and just across the bridge, there's not one in Peoria County. And so I truly believe that the judges in Peoria County 
They want to do everything they can to stop the cycle of violence, to stop the cycle of criminality, because we are becoming a less safe county. According to the city of, uh, excuse me, the city of Peoria police statistics, crime has increased over the past five years, 38 percent. Uh, the murder rate has increased in Peoria County 95 percent. And so we want to do everything we can to change where we are going. And I believe that more of the same actually makes us less safe. So I want to try something different based upon my experience traveling throughout the state and working various courthouses and courtrooms throughout the state. I want to use what I've seen other counties do in order to change the way our youth and our citizens are going. Let me ask you about the youth issue in, in particular, and, and some of this came up last night. I, I attended, and, and you and your opponent both were at the the forum that was held last night at St. Paul Baptist Church. And I want to dive in a little deeper on, on some of those issues based on what you've seen in your work that involves kids already. And, and you do work with the Police Activity League. You served, served some, some time as, as an expulsion hearing officer for Peoria Public Schools. What programs are there that are working right now in helping keep kids out of trouble? And what can the state's attorney's office do with its, let's be frank, limited budget on those issues to either expand those programs or start new ones? Well, one of the, one of the most successful programs I've seen, at least in Peoria, is the wraparound program, which is run mm-hmm. by Derek Booth. And it's a great program. I would like to partner with the wraparound program and other leaders and I truly believe it is not a budgetary issue uh, because I'm going to work with community, community volunteers to go in the schools, to go into the communities so we can make us safer. The reason I say that is because in my years of service, I'm a 40 under 40 award recipient here in Peoria. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a, in 2012. I have a lot of people who walk up to me and they ask me, what is it I can do? What is it I can do to help? And I believe that individuals are willing to volunteer, they're willing to help, so we can stop the cycle criminality, so we can go into the schools, we can go into community centers, we can talk about trauma, we can talk about triggers, we can talk about triangulation and how that makes us all less safe. We can talk about um, domestic violence and, and signs of domestic violence. Um, oftentimes, if you're a victim of domestic violence, the perpetrator will tell you it's your fault. The perpetrator will try to isolate you from Mm -hmm. your family. And sometimes you don't know those signs until you get into the relationship and you get into deep. And I truly believe that if the state's attorney works with community partners and talks to these citizens, talks to kids, that we can stop this and make us all safer. I got to ask on that, though, the... Center for Prevention of Abuse has had a, a program. We've had a generation of school kids that have gone through some of that, that work where they've, they've heard about those issues on, on domestic violence. And Peoria County still has, in, in any given month, and, and February 2019 is the one I'm going to use, 20% of the arrests that were booked into the jail in February 2019 were for domestic violence or breaking no contact order sure. related issues. We've been giving these lessons to to kids in particular in the schools, and we still face this as an issue. How do we escalate from information campaigns into other other preventative measures that that help address that? Well, I will tell you, I I was a board member for the Center for Prevention of Abuse for about for about seven years. I actually retired as a board member. I truly believe, excuse me that if the individual who is the chief law enforcement officer of Peoria County 
goes into the schools with the school's permission and talks to the children about what happens in the courthouse and what happens if you have to be prosecuted, that is going to be transformative. What I mean by that is I can say, look, these are the ramifications if you get a domestic violence conviction, a Mm -hmm. domestic battery conviction. You are going to be prohibited from working certain jobs. Your entire life is going to be altered because unless you receive an executive clemency from the governor, that's going to be on your record forever. Mm -hmm. What age are you talking about uh, talking to the the kids? I'm going to talk to the kids anywhere, wherever I'm invited. Okay. But if you get a domestic violence conviction when you're 18, that is on your record Mm -hmm. forever. Mm -hmm. As a community volunteer, I've talked to children since... I was in private practice, and that was in 2005. I was invited by the Honorable James Shadid to go around to the schools and talk to them, and I've done it since. I was just in Treewind School just about two weeks ago talking to children. So we're going to continue to do that, and I truly believe if the kids hear from the chief law enforcement officer about what happens in the courthouse, I truly believe that we can begin to curb the cycle of violence. Okay. Um you, you want to add one of the, the proposals in your, your questionnaire that will be online along with this. You want to add in a social worker to the state's attorney's office staff right. to help identify and, and help people who could benefit from some of those trauma-related services. And as part of the questionnaire, you say that you can achieve that, and I'm, I'm quoting, on budget within the current structure. Right. What is it that, that you would shift the, the resources away from in order to do that? I, I sense from having heard you speak before, there are some things you think aren't working and that, that this is something that could work better. That's that correct. I, the state attorney's office has natural, um, it's natural. People come, mm-hmm. they, co- they go. Unfortunately, you know, it's, it's, um, there has, there's turnover there mm-hmm. because um, it's a government job. And, mm-hmm. and so not everyone can afford to continue to work in, mm-hmm. in government jobs. <laughs> and so once we have an individual that leaves, we will begin to merge a couple of the positions and, and, and some of the uh, less high traffic areas um, so we can what, have. What are those that, that you would change, though? Well, you have there right now. There are about four prosecutors in misdemeanor court. Mm-hmm. Um, you can remove some of those prosecutors on a part time basis okay. um, you know, to do that. Additionally, mm-hmm. juvenile abuse neglect court. Additionally, I'm going to actually be uh, prosecuting cases. And so I am a trial lawyer. I'm a trial lawyer by heart. I love doing it. And so it'll be different under my administration because I will actually be in a courtroom as well, a little bit more active than what is traditionally known in the state's attorney's office. How many cases do you think you would be personally trying? Well, it is hard to say that because not uh, until you actually announced ready for trial. It's hard to know what cases are actually going to go. But as the state's attorney, I'm going to work in various courtrooms. I'm working traffic. I'm going to work in misdemeanor. I'm going to work in felony. Because if my my employees want to help with, um, for example, going to the schools and talking about what happens if you get a driving on suspended? Uh, what happens if you get a no insurance conviction um, and the ramifications that can have to you driving a lifetime, um, driving the rest of your lifetime? I'm going to allow them to do that. So I've been trained in all the courtrooms, and so I'm going to work in all the courtrooms. 
Okay. Do we need to change the way we approach more of those misdemeanor type cases? Because often when you enter the system with one of those, it, it can become a stepping stone into other crime afterward because of, of the conviction. If you're unable to pay your fees that relate to that and, and you know, the record sort of snowballs from there. I, I noted in your questionnaire, you, you suggest that, uh, for instance, the state's attorney's office will and again, I'm quoting from it, encourage officers to refrain from petty civilian contact. Does right. that mean changing and maybe not prosecuting some of those lower level misdemeanors? Well, we're going to we're, we're going to continue to keep individuals safe. And so we are going to continue to to prosecute, um, especially violent crime. Mm -hmm. And but what I mean is we need to offer dispositions for nonviolent crime, which can help people refrain from getting in the system. For example, if it's, let's say, a retail theft, we can, as long as we get the restitution and there's an intervention program that we can offer, let's put the individual through, through uh, the intervention program so that way we're just not racking up convictions. That's what I want to do because citizens, if they don't get the best job that they can afford, there's a chance they can go back to that cycle criminality. And I believe that actually makes us safer than just racking up convictions on individuals. Um, and specifically with the questionnaire, uh, one of the questions was in regards to the Don't Shoot program. Um, what we have to stop doing, I think, is prosecuting individuals for, let's say, busting windshield, obstructions, mm -hmm. obstructions to the windshields, uh, muffler cases, muffler tickets, because those tend to affect people who are poor. Right. And so as long as they can get those issues fixed, mm -hmm. I would love to just outright dismiss those cases because I don't believe the county um, has an interest in prosecuting individuals for crimes of poverty. So mm -hmm. we want to fix that. In our City of Disparity series that we did a couple of years ago, one of the stories we did was the, about the high, you're more likely to be pulled over if you're, if you're black. Okay. Yep. Um, what is your thoughts on on local police and law enforcement and their relationship with with minorities? Well, I would say that I am uniquely qualified to bridge the gap of lack of communication between law enforcement and the citizens. As a attorney, I've represented law enforcement. I've represented citizens. I've represented law enforcement in criminal cases. I represented law enforcement agents um, civilly, and of course, I represented individuals on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, what is really important is that there is communication, there's transparency, um, and that the individuals can work together. And I believe, from the position of state's attorney, we can encourage that. Um, I am a member of the Peoria Police Athletic League. What we do is teach children how to have healthy relationships with law enforcement. Um, I truly believe that as long as we focus on violent crime, that has to be the focus, violent crime, keeping everyone safe. If we do that, we work together that way, we can stop this. Okay. Uh, you also talk in your questionnaire about trying to take a, a three-pronged approach to violent crime uh, and, and levels certainly there have, have increased on a, what it was five years ago to what it was this year basis, the, the murder rate has been cyclical, right. but, but last year's murder rate was significantly higher than it was five years ago. Uh, talk about uh, talk about what it is there uh, in, in terms of first your your first prong of that is balancing punishment with prevention. Right. And, and what exactly does that mean? What that means is talking to community centers 
talking to children about what happens in the courthouse. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you another example. Let's say you have an individual who was charged with home invasion. Mm-hmm. Okay, We all know home invasions when you break into someone's house and you get into a fight with them. Mm-hmm. As a defense attorney, I've seen this situation a number of times where, where individuals were, let's say, they were arguing over a significant other. Mm-hmm. They were sharing a significant other or something along those mm-hmm. lines. And then one person decides they want to continue the altercation. So what do they do? There's a house party, and they bust into the house party, and they start to fight. That's home invasion. Mm-hmm. Most people think that's just a fight, mm-hmm. okay? But no, that is six to 30 years mandatory mm-hmm. yeah. in the Illinois Department of Corrections. Um, we have parents nowadays that are working multiple jobs. Um, it's different than when I grew up in Peoria, when I had two parents you know, working two jobs. Now you have sometimes one or two parents working uh, three, three and four jobs mm-hmm. to make ends meet. And I truly, truly believe the chief law enforcement officer can talk to kids and give them lessons that I may have learned growing up that maybe aren't stressed as much now. For example, one of the first things I learned when I got my driver's license is to be careful who you put in the car. Because if someone is in the car with you, they direct you to go somewhere, let's say to a store, and they commit an armed robbery, Mm -hmm. well, if you drive off, you are You're just as responsible. You're an accomplice. You're, yeah. And, and so I, th- I think that we have to talk to kids. We have to talk to um, community about prevention. Give you another example. This happened to me today. I, um, um, I received a call from what I thought was Silco telling me that I had a past due bill. Mm-hmm. But, of course, I have automatic deduction from my account to pay the bill. Mm-hmm. And so I called uh, the individual back who said I had a past due bill, and of course they wanted what my check information, mm-hmm. so they can pay it over the phone, uh, so I can pay it over the phone because otherwise they were going to have a Silco representative come to my house. I was almost a victim because if I would have given them my credit card information or my bank information, they would have begun to make deductions, mm-hmm. and and so that is what I mean by prevention. We want to use community partners to talk about crime. Because a chief law enforcement officer, the main job is to keep each and every individual safe. So that's what I mean by prevention. In terms of prosecution, mm-hmm. of course, violent crime, we are going to continue to prosecute violent crime. And we're going to continue to prosecute even nonviolent crime. But I want to use methods where individuals can continue to work. Um, they can get the best job they can, but also keep us safe. Okay. I, there are two other prongs to this, too. Uh, Focusing on offender reintegration and reducing recidivism. Right. On offender reintegration, what, what can the state's attorney's office do? That That is, and, and this came up at the forum last night, uh, that's really out of the, the parole office as, as much as it is anywhere else. What what can the state's attorney's office jump in and do there? Well, the state's attorney's office, what they can do is, is they can offer to meet with individuals if it's okay with the parole officer. Um, and and talk about reintegration and talk about um, um, how to build your resume, Mm -hmm. um, places that hire felons, um, expectations while out on parole, because the citizens don't want individuals going back to prison uh, because that costs them money. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we have to make sure we keep everyone safe. And so as long as we have a proactive system where, again, this has to be something that the parole board Mm -hmm. is okay with, I'm willing to do. Okay, is is this a, a chicken and the egg kind of issue? A, that you want 
you and, and your office out more working on, on informational work in the in the community, some some things like this to, to prevent recidivism, to make it easier to get back into the community. Is there the bandwidth now in the office to do this before some of the other crime issues that could be reduced by doing so occur? You know, yes. Can people do that right now people in, can, with their caseloads? People can do that. The state's attorney can do that. Again, we have individuals who live in this community. They want to stay in this community, and they want to know how they can help. I hear it all the time, how I can help. It's not going to be something that the state's attorney does um, precisely. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be something that the individuals who work for the office do um, um, by themselves. We can host these things on Saturdays where it's the state's attorney doing it and volunteers. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be something that's going to take away from individuals in the courtroom. It's not going to be something that takes away from individuals on their job. Mm-hmm. The office will always be staffed. There will always be a state's attorney in court. Uh, trust me, the judges are going to require that. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to do everything we can to make individuals safe. But I truly believe in prevention. I truly believe that that is the way to stop the cycle of criminality. Because if an individual can't get a good job, if an individual um, can't go back to school, there aren't many options left. And I want to stop that. This is not the same place I grew up in. And I believe, based on my experience as a community volunteer, based on my experience as a father, based on my experience as a husband, that these are things, these are changes that we can make. We have to make transformative changes now to stop the epidemic we have now. You were an assistant state's attorney, and for a while now you've been a defense attorney. Correct. Yeah. How has that changed your mindset on dealing with, uh, with defendants? Well, it's changed my mindset. As a prosecutor, of course, you have to do the status quo. You have to do what you're told. You have to follow the sheets and the guidelines of, of what's, what is accepted in the office. But as a defense attorney, I have individuals who come before me, citizens, who talk, who talk to me about their past, who talk to me about their history. Um, sometimes I see them, they're 30 years old, and they have to bring their 50-year-old parent to fill out new client sheets. They have to bring their parent because they don't communicate so well. And so that has truly changed the way I see things. And I've also traveled throughout the state defending cases. And I understand that it's not as simple as a black and white issue. It's not individuals who most individuals, they want to work. They want to stay out of trouble. They don't want to be government's property, as, as the saying goes. But they don't know how to get out the cycle because of sometimes situations, because of circumstances in which they grew up with, and sometimes it's a lack of knowledge, lack of education. And I believe that I have the experience, I have the dedication. Community service is not new to me. I've been doing this when I was in the state's attorney's office and when I left. And I believe that criminal justice reform, focusing on prevention, will make us safer. And I believe that this is what is needed here now. Where do you stand on the issue that, that's likely to come up before the legislature this spring on changing rules for cash bail? Well, I, it is my opinion that the amount of money you have and you can post to get out of jail does not mean that um, you're a safe person. I don't believe in the notion that 
you put your money with your mouth where your mouth is, and that makes us all safer. I think that is completely inaccurate. Um, you could be a violent person, whether or not you have money to get out of jail or not. Um, I believe that if you have to post bond uh, for a nonviolent crime um, and you can't post bond, which means you're going to lose your job, then that actually puts us in a worse situation because you can't provide food for your family. You can't provide food for your children. But again, I think it is very important in, that we have bail reform, but I have pause about bail reform for uh, violent crime. Because the victim has to have some solace that even for a day they have protection uh, where that individual has to gather money to to post bond and get out of jail. It is very important, especially for nonviolent crime, that we have bail reform. But regardless, I'm going to support all the efforts of the governor. I'd like to follow up on my previous question on um, the impact of your experience as a defense attorney. As a prosecutor, you have to make the decision on whether to prosecute or not. Sure. Given your experience, how do you think that's going to weigh in t- as as a prosecutor on when, whether you decide to go after um, to, to prosecute someone or not? Well, actually, um, it's not going to weigh a whole lot. My experience as a defense attorney, my experience as a defense attorney will come more into play in terms of sensing and whether or not we can offer alternatives to a conviction. What I mean by that is we have to look at what the victim is interested in. We have to look at the statute. We have to look at an offender's criminal history. Um, uh, we have to look, at, of course, at the the nature of the offense and how strong the case is. Yeah. We'll look Evi- at the- your evidence is a big part. Evidence, of that, evidence, know. evidence, evidence. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to look at those things and we're going to make the decision as to whether or not we charge. And then if we decide we're going to charge, then we'll use our, you know, the social worker work. We'll work with the court system to put the individual, if it's appropriate, and the best scenario to protect the county. That's what we'll do. Okay. I want to talk to you about expungements, but not not the large number of, of marijuana expungements that are coming. Uh, because there's a, a built-in process for that. I want to actually talk about expungements for other nonviolent criminal activity because we, we've seen in the county in, in recent years some challenges that people have had in in trying to get those records expunged to, and being able to clear that final hurdle with it if they have outstanding fines or outstanding fees that are there. And, and in essence, that, as, as you've mentioned, becomes kind of a vicious cycle. If you have that felony conviction, you can't get a job that pays much higher than minimum wage. You can't support your family and you can't ever get the money that's going to help you pay off those fees to get the record expunged so that you can get the better job. And you're probably going to also work a job where if you miss three or four days, you're going to be fired. Right. (laughs) Right. So how would your office handle the issue broadly? Because the state's attorney is one of the two people at, at the end of the line that can say, your honor, there are still outstanding fines and fees. This conviction is not ready for expungement. How would your office handle those? Would, would you be willing to waive repayment on fines and fees? I will work with the clerk's office mm-hmm. on that issue. But my personal belief is if there is substantial compliance, that individual should be able to have their record expunged and sealed if it falls within the parameters of the statute. 
Substantial compliance means what? They're able to pay back part. They get a payment plan. They're they're able to, to do community service in lieu of payment. What exactly does it mean? It means we want to look at every every person's individual situation. If they are not in a position to pay off their entire fine, then we will offer community service. If it's you know working with the clerk's office and working with the judges to make sure that it's applicable. And if we can do that, I want to get individuals' records sealed. Sealed. I want to get them cleared when possible. But again, it's not a one person. Um, it's not one person's decision. Mm-hmm. We have to work with the chief judge on that mm-hmm. issue. We have to work with the clerk's office. It will be a partnership in order to do that. But I will stress that we need to do everything we can for individuals get individuals to get their records sealed and expunged when it is prop, when it is appropriate because that keeps us safer so individuals can get the best job they can. And, and as you say, this is a process. You know there's a school of thought out there that these are court-mandated fines or fees, and if it is a court order, they owe that money. And there, there's been some resistance in Peoria County to this. How... How would you convince somebody who, who's resistant to that, whether it's it's the circuit clerk's office, whether it's the chief judge, how would you convince those individuals to be willing to go this route on it? Because there, there's been some limited limited success. There. Individuals that have that callous nature, I'll look at it and I'll explain to them this way. Would you, ra- would you rather have this individual getting the best job they can or would you rather have this individual um, – where the state is taking care of this individual. And I believe most uh, clear-minded individuals will want that person who was an offender working because it is less likely that that offender will have to rely on government benefits. That simple. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good. All right. I I think that does it for us. Chris McCall, candidate for Peoria County State's Attorney for the Democratic nomination in the March 17 primary. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. And I would ask everyone to vote um, and vote for me, Chris McCall. We are stronger together. Thank you. Thank you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.